Grab your Bibles and open them uh, to Romans chapter 10, and, and uh, we have two verses in for, before us tonight. Uh, we won't cover both of them, uh, but we'll read both of them. We'll, we'll, I'll try to cover one. But gang, um, you know, I'm a master of overstatement. Uh, you know that. I, I tend towards the histrionic. Um, but this, this, is a, this is rich, rich, wonderful stuff. Um, and it, 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 there is so much that is theologically crammed into, and not just theologically. It's just, um, it's, I, I said when we opened this chapter that um, we were going to find out what the gospel is. And you get a marvelous statement about it here in, in these two verses. I'm going to read you four. Um, it's three and four that, is, that are before us now, but we're going to cover, Lord willing, Verse 3. So let me read just the first four verses. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. To everyone who believes. Wonderful, wonderfully profound and rich truth contained in those two verses. Let's take a look at, let me read verse 3 again because that's what we're going to look at. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Gang, in verse 2, um, Paul uh, I, described Judaism by saying they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. He uses that word knowledge, and you might recall I tried to point out um, that it's a, it's a different word. There's a Greek word gnosis for knowledge, and then there's a Greek word epignosis, which has to do with um, uh, knowledge that has gone from the outside all the way in. Well, uh, he mentions knowledge in verse 2, but here in verse 3, what he does is works out in detail what he means by their ignorance or their absence or their lack of knowledge. He says they have a lack of knowledge. They have a zeal, but it's, it's not according to knowledge. And, and then he begins to tell you what he means by they have no knowledge uh, married to their zeal. And that's what he does in verse 3. He mentions three things. There are basically three parts to verse 3. It's all designed to describe or to, to detail what he means by them having no knowledge. Or being, he even uses the word ignorant, which is a really ugly term. You know, you know, you can say you don't have any knowledge, but when you say you're ignorant, uh, that's kind of offensive. But he does use that word. He does use it in verse 3. For being ignorant. Here's the first thing that he says about their lack of knowledge. They're ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God. That's what, that's, that's what this, this lack of knowledge is. The first part of it is they're, they're ignorant of a righteousness that God provides. Guys, what, what, what non-Christian, what unconverted, what, what wicked folks need, what, what unconverted folks need, is not a self-made, self-produced righteousness. What they need is a righteousness that's given to them by God. Judaism, which is in... Paul's, um, that's really what he has in mind here. But Judaism, then and now, but not just Judaism, all unbelief. 
Judaism then and now thought that they knew what God demanded. And they didn't and they don't. And folks, that's what Jesus does in the very opening phase of his ministry in the Sermon on the Mount. He is trying to communicate to a Jewish audience, you really don't understand what you think you understand. You remember in the Sermon on the Mount, he says this a, he says this a half a dozen times. He says, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. The ancients said, but I say unto you. Because the ancients got it wrong. What they've taught you is not right, but let me correct it for you. What, what I'm simply saying is, Judaism thought they knew what the, what the law of God demanded, and they didn't. And so Jesus sits out at the very early stages of his ministry to correct that, or at least to address that. But Judaism and unbelief today um, misunderstands God, the, the real demands, folks. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, one of the, one of the major messages of the Sermon on the Mount is that righteousness is not confined to the letter of the law. What God is at, what, what, what God is after is not some kind of conformity to the letter. But there is a spirit of the law that is so vitally, I mean, of course, this is the classic illustration for men. We always go to this illustration. But in chapter 5, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, I think it's verse 27, he says, You have heard it said that thou sh you shouldn't lust after a woman, or you shouldn't, have, you shouldn't commit adultery. But I say to you, he who looks upon a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery. Do you see that? That's the difference between letter and, and spirit of the law. Judaism said, as long as I haven't committed that act, I'm okay. Jesus says, no, 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 that's, that's not it. And guys, you see, this, you see this ignorance all throughout the New Testament. If you can find this real quickly, if you can open to Luke chapter 18. There's a couple of illustrations in Luke 18 I want you to see. One of them is this, this story of the rich young ruler. You know that story. It starts in verse 18 of Luke 18. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, What must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, Why do you call me good? And he says, You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not commit murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, oh, 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 No problem. I've done that. What? How could you possibly conclude that you've done that? It is because you think that the demand is only letter and not spirit. But here's a rich young ruler, rich and a young and a ruler. And Jesus says, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this and do that. And he says, oh, no problem with me. I've obeyed all that. Gang, that is an illustration of an ignorance of the righteousness that God demands and of the righteousness that God provides. Um, let me show you the other one. Same chapter, Luke chapter 18. It's the, the parable of the, the, um, the uh, Pharisee and the tax collector. Remember that one? One of them goes into the temple to pray, and he says, it's in um, verse 10, Luke 18, 10. Two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. <laughs> not extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like that tax collector. How can you say that? You can only say it when you misunderstand the whole demand of the law of God. 
I'm not like them. I'm not of this. I'm not of that. I'm not the other. And I've, I've kept all of that. Gang, that is classic ignorance. What you have in Luke 18 is a picture of two men, two, two, two pictures of men who thought that they had completely satisfied the demands of God. And they hadn't. They didn't understand it. They were ignorant. It, it, it involves a, a low view of God and a very high view of themselves. The righteousness that God provides and gives, they don't have. You, you understand there's two kinds of righteousness, don't you? There, there is mine, and then there's God's. <laughs> and those two are dramatically different. They're radically opposed. I read a story by James Boyce, which I thought was good, to just illustrate that point. He said in, uh, I don't think this is the true story, I think he just made this up, but it's uh, in Vietnam, they, uh, the, uh, the Viet Cong captured some American soldiers and, and put them in a prison of war camp in Da Nang, and, and uh, they were stuck there, of course, when life is not real good and there's not a whole lot going on, but uh, while they were there, they get this care package, or from the Red Cross or from whoever, and inside the package was a Monopoly game. And the soldiers were also excited about the Monopoly game. And it wasn't because they wanted to play Monopoly. <laughs> but they, they took the money, the, the, the paper money, the, the Monopoly money, and they distributed it equally among the prisoners. And then they had something with which to barter. So if somebody had an extra bowl of soup and they didn't want it, they could sell it. Or if somebody had an extra cigarette and they, wanted, they could sell it for this money. And so they had a means of barter. And of course, you know, uh, being the good capitalists that we are, somebody ended up in, uh, with more money than the other guys. And so they get released, they get liberated, they get exchanged, whatever, and they come home, and, and the first thing one of these guys does is go to a bank and say, I want to open a checking account. And the teller says, well, fine, how much do you want to open it for? And, and he said, well, $1,267,431. She said, well, no, no, kidding. And he reaches into his, 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 his coat pocket, and he lays out Monopoly money in front of her. Now, gang, Monopoly money is good if you're in a prison camp in Da Nang. But if you're trying to open a bank account in San Francisco, it ain't going to do you much good. Oh, it might look like, in some ways, a real greenback. But it ain't the real thing. I'm simply illustrating, guys. There's two kinds of righteousness. And they may have some similarities in what they look like. But one, and may, have, may be valuable over at the Kiwanis Club. But when you stand before God, it is utterly valueless. There, there is a righteousness that man has, and then there's God's. And what you need is not yours. They were ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God. Because they were so pleased, that is, because Judaism, and because unbelief today is so pleased with their own, with their own righteousness, they have no interest in God's. You know, gang, um, in, in, 
in most conversation, the term righteousness is misunderstood. It's for 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 much of our conversation, righteousness is nothing more than a than ethical virtue. Uh, for instance, Judaism would take the Ten Commandments. They would take the Ten Commandments and they um, they would come to the, the Sabbath law. You know, uh, um, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You shall do no work on um, um, yada yada yada. And um, so they would say, okay, what is work? What qualifies as work? And so they come up with this enormous system to define what work is and what work isn't. And so for Judaism and for unbelief today, guys, righteousness is nothing. It consists of doing good things and avoiding bad things. That's not the righteousness that comes from God. In fact, that's not even how the Bible uses the term. When the, when, when the Bible talks about righteousness, it's talking, it's talking more about a standing a standing that one has before in, in the presence of God. A legal standing. But because Judaism and, and unbelief today is so impressed with its, own, with its own accomplishment, they're not interested in the, the righteousness that God gives. That's the first thing that Paul says in terms of describing their lack of knowledge. The second thing that he says in verse 3, um, for being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own. They weren't interested in the one that God gave and so they set about to establish a righteousness that they themselves have defined and can perform. Judaism and unbelief today is so pleased with itself. That's called self-righteousness, guys. It's interesting. Um, It says, in seeking to establish their own... I I thought you might be interested in this. The Greek word is zetuntes. Oops. Um, It's got a family of words. Zelao. It's the same root. Um, the point is, this is the Greek word from which we get our English word, zeal. When it says that they're seeking, there is a zealous fanaticism about it. There is, there is a real strenuous effort that's being communicated. Ladies and gentlemen, mark my word, the main heresy of the 21st century is not Buddhism. It's not Hinduism. It's not the Jehovah's Witness. The main heresy of the 21st century is the knowledge of, or the, 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 the myth that I can save myself by being good. Which, by the way, is true of Buddhism. It's true of Hinduism. It's true of Islam. Do this and you become a Christian. Who told you that? This book didn't. Um, you want to know what God's demand is, folks, which, of which Judaism is ignorant? It goes something like this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And you and I haven't done that for 30 seconds in our entire lives. 
Now, if that is the great commandment, what does that make us who haven't kept it? (laughs) That makes us the great violators of the great commandment. How could you look at Jesus like the richer? Oh, yeah, do that, do that. Oh, I've done all that. They were ignorant of the righteousness that God gives and thus they sought zealously, strenuously to develop and establish a righteousness of their own. Um, You know, guys, just as an aside, this is why Jesus was always so well received among among the outcasts, among prostitutes and, and tax collectors, because those people had no illusion about their their moral performance. But anyone who is impressed with their moral performance doesn't like to come into doesn't like to hear from this this Jesus fellow. Gang, um Judaism then, Judaism today, and unbelief today is based on a completely false view of human sin. You have to have a false view of sin to say, well, I've kept that and kept that and I've kept that and I've kept that. What else do you want from me? Ladies and gentlemen, the great commandment is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart. And you haven't done that for 30 seconds. Neither have I. So in, in, in the circles of unbelief, who is Jesus then? What, what, what good is He? Well, He's, a, he's a, a good model. He's a good moral example. But, but human nature is, is, is essentially good. People can save themselves. People can make themselves Christians. There, there's no need to, um, to, to for any kind of rebirth. Just, just adhere, and um, and you'll be fine. Uh, you just um, uh, learn all of the stipulations and and perform them, and all's going to be fine. And Jesus would look at him and he would say, They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the places of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. And they were stripped buck naked, they were exposed. You do all that stuff, folks, he says to Judaism. You do all that stuff because you want to be seen by men. And he exposed them and he hate, they hated him for it. There's this other statement I want to read. This is out of Matthew 21. Listen to this. He says, um, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom before you. They hated him for that stuff. And they still do. The, the idea that my goodness does not merit God's favor. 
I don't need Him to die for me. I don't need Him to die because I'm very satisfied that I have kept all the demands that God has made on me. There's all kinds of statements that Jesus made. Luke 16 where He says, um, what, what men value God abominates. Oh, you folks, uh, you, you, uh, you Pharisees, you, you applaud each other for your Sabbath observance, do you? God is disgusted with it. Disgusted with it. The, the book of Isaiah talks about your works are as filthy rags. You've heard that text, I'm sure, a lot. But all that was so valued by men is useless. Just like monopoly money. It's useless. It's valueless. He's describing, gang, a, a people who are very pleased with themselves. And who will one day hear, depart from me, I never knew you. Because they were so pleased with themselves. That's the second part. Let me tell you about their ignorance or their lack of knowledge. First of all, they're ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God. And secondly, they then seek to establish, they seek zealously, strenuously to establish a righteousness of their own. And finally, consequently, they did not submit to God's righteousness. They did not, indeed they will not. The idea of submission and surrender. It's interesting, guys. The, the, uh, the Greek word for um, seeking is, is... No, no, no. I didn't, I didn't put that up there, did I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is it. This is the word that's translated seeking. The Greek word for submission, or right there, is um, hupotasso. It's the same word that's used to uh, address to women in Ephesians 5. Wives, submit. Same word that's found here when it says that they did not submit to God's righteousness. You know, guys, um, I said to you a couple of weeks ago um, that I watched that PBS special on the war. I'm really into it. And uh, uh, I, when Susan and I were in Florida, we were in a, um, a Barnes & Noble's and they have it on film for 125 bucks, and I'm not about to buy that. Um, but I, I, I bought a book um, by Stephen Ambrose uh, called Citizen Soldiers, and somebody in here recommended that book, and I don't know who it was that recommended it, but I went out and got it. and It's just fascinating. Well, just to tell you a brief story out of it. During the closing days of the war, I mean, after June the 6th, and we had landed at Normandy, uh, it was apparent to everybody, and that was we landed in June, and in July the twentieth, uh, there was an there was an attempt to assassinate Hitler. You know that it failed. They're making a movie out of that. Tom Cruise is the um, the count that. Uh, no, it's Tom Cruise. Tom, uh, Tom Cruise is going to play the guy, the Count Zinzendorf, or whoever it wasn't Zinzendorf. He was a good guy, but this count that tried to assassinate Hitler because they knew it was over, and they were trying to get Germany to sue for peace from the Allies, and Eisenhower was insistent. No, 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 no. It is abject surrender or nothing. And so, the, you know, just mil- hundreds of thousands of lives were lost. But anyway, in those, from June all the way through, up through Christmas, I mean, we were pushing, I mean, I, I, I think it was in August that we liberated Paris. And then the march through France was just boom, boom, boom. They, they, they couldn't keep enough gas in the trucks to get through France. And, but they come to the, the, the border of Germany. 
the Rhine River, the Ardennes, you know, some of those names might... And things really got bad. That's where the Battle of the Bulge took place and all that business. But uh, uh, turning the new year in 1945, you know, they surrendered in May, May the 5th, I think, of 1945. But those last months of the war, say February, March, April, and May, the German army was really in... They were in crisis. They, they knew that they had lost. They knew that the, 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 the cause was, was over and that they had to do something about their, their particular predicament in which they found themselves. And during those months, thousands of German soldiers surrendered. There's some funny stories about... Um, uh, on one occasion... Um, the, these German soldiers came out of the woods with their hands up and said, we surrendered, we surrendered, and said, we want to go to America. <laughs> and, the, and the American soldier says, we do too. <laughs> but a, a, another, um, one guy was sleeping one night in a, in a gully and, and um, he woke up the next morning and uh, only to find that he had, didn't know it, but he was sleeping right next to a German in the same gully. And the, the German woke him up and said, wake up, wake up, I want to surrender. But it was just... But one guy, um, his name was Corporal Frederick Buttonrath of the 2nd Panzer Division, um, who had also fought on the Eastern Front against the Russians. He said this. He explained why there were so many surrenders. In Russia, I could imagine nothing but fighting to the last man. We knew that going into a prison camp in Russia meant you were dead. In Normandy, one always had in the back of his mind... I'm quoting here. Well, if everything goes to hell, the Americans are human enough that the prospect of becoming their prisoners was attractive to some extent. Gang, the, the battle remnants of the German army were, had been pretty much surrounded in Berlin by the Russians coming from the east. And as you know, when Hitler invaded Russia, they killed three and a half million Russian citizens. And when that attempt failed and Russia began to march towards Berlin, the Russian soldiers were absolutely drunk with the desire, with the desire for revenge. And so German, the German soldiers were so eager to get to the American lines so they could surrender. They, they, they finally understood that they were finished as a fighting force. Surrender was inevitable. There was only one question that remained. To whom would they surrender? They were ignorant of the righteous that God's demand that God demands or, and that He provides. And so they began to construct one of their own. And they would not surrender. You know, guys, I, um, I read another book while I was away. That's all I did. It rained 20 inches in two days in Destin. 20 inches. Front page of the paper. I didn't make that up. Front page of the paper. Destin paper. 20 inches of rain. And you know what the red tide is? Anybody know what the red tide is? That's a real thing. That thing's awful. Anyway, we couldn't even go out on the balcony. It was, but I, but anyway, I didn't matter. Susie sewed, I read. But uh, one of the books that I read is, um, um, ladies, I don't want you to read this book. Don't read the book. 
Any female in this room, don't read this book. But some of you men probably ought to read the book. It's about male sexual addiction. And I'm telling you, it's crude. He says some things in there that are... <laughs> and he's a fairly good author. But it's crude. And, and you, don't, you don't need to hear it. You don't need to read it. But some of us men probably do. But guys, here, here's my point. You're going to surrender. The question is only, to whom will you surrender? Will you surrender to the pursuit of your own foolishnesses and end up an addict of something, whether it's career or money or sex or drugs or, or you know, what is it that you're going to... What is it that you're going to surrender to? Do you want to surrender to the Americans or the Russians? Want to surrender to the world of addiction? Or do you want to surrender to a good God who made demands of righteousness and then provided them? the very need that you have. He provides. Why? Why will you... Why will you surrender to the Russians? They're a cruel taskmaster. But I know a place that you can surrender. And you're going to like surrendering to this God. Have you submitted to this God? Oh, but you say, oh, but Jimmy, you know, um, uh, I, I've always lived a, a good life. Stop it! Don't ever say that again. You haven't lived a good life. I haven't lived a good life. We haven't obeyed the great commandment for 30 seconds of our entire existence. Here's what we should say. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I Or, you could just call it surrender. Have you surrendered to the Americans or the Russians? Because that one's going to ruin you. A surrender to this good God. You're going to love. Our Father, I, I do pray that you will remind us of the beauties of the gospel and the provisions made within them for people like us, broken, um, inconsistent, rebellious, wayward, self-consumed. Oh God, 
might none of these three things ever be said about any of us. That we were ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God. Oh, let it never be said. That we sought to establish our own righteousness. Oh God, might it never be said among us. And that they failed to submit. Might it never be said of us. What we love to sing and what we love to glory in is the fact that we are indeed foul. And it is to the fountain that's filled with blood that we fly. So, Savior, wash us from top to bottom. Wash us or we die. Thank you for the glad opportunity to surrender to the God who made us and then found a way to save us. We love you, Lord God. And we are sorry we love you so little. But grant us grace that we might love you more. We pray, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys, and good night.